Hello, and welcome to this Sleepcast series of the Stuff of Dreams podcast. My goal in this series is to provide you with relaxing bedtime stories that also have substance in the form of myths. I'm your host, Amy Lawson, MD, practicing pediatrician. I also have a master's degree in depth psychology, specifically in Jungian and archetypal studies. Our first myth is that of Psyche and Eros. Psyche is a human woman who unknowingly marries Eros, the god of love, who hides his identity from her. When she breaks his rule and dares to know who he really is, he casts her away. She must perform four difficult tasks to work her way back toward the god she loves. During their separation, Psyche and Eros each grow and mature until they're able to come together again in a more equal and deliberate and truly loving way. And now, Psyche and Eros, part three. When Psyche awoke from her faint, she looked around in bewilderment, for the scene which met her eyes was the same and yet so different. The trees waved their arms gently in the breeze and whispered to each other in the glad morning light, and in the hedges the birds sang sweet songs of joy, for the skies were blue and the grass was green and summer was on the land. But Psyche sat up with a dull grief in her heart, feeling the dim shadow of a half-forgotten despair that meets those who awake from sleep. At first she wondered where she was, for her clothes were wet with dew, and looking round the still familiar scene, she saw the green glade in the forest, but no shining palace at the top. Then, like a flash, she remembered the night, and how by her doubt she had given up all her happiness, and she lay on the ground and sobbed and prayed that she would die. But soon tired out with weeping, she grew calmer and remembered the words of her husband, how she could find him again only after long wandering and trials. Though her knees gave way beneath her and her heart sank at the thought of setting out alone into the cruel world, she determined to begin her search immediately. Through the dark forest she went, and the sun hid behind the pine tops, and great oaks threw shadows across her path in weird fantastic forms, like wild arms thrust out to seize her as she passed. With hurrying steps and pounding heart, she went on her way till she came out on the bleak mountainside, where the stones cut her feet and the brambles tore at her without mercy. But on and on she struggled along the stony road, till the path grew soft beneath her and sloped gently downwards to the plain. Here, through green fields and smiling pastures, a river wound slowly towards the sea and beyond the further bank, she saw the smoke from the town rise blue against the evening sky. She quickened her steps, for already the shadows from the trees fell long across the fields, and the grass turned to gold in the light of the dying day. And still she must cross broad meadows and a silver stream before finding shelter for the night. As she drew closer, she looked for a safe crossing, but seeing none, she gathered her courage, and breathing a prayer to the gods, stepped into the water. But she was weak and faint with hunger, and at every step the water grew deeper and colder, and her strength more feeble, till at length she was borne off her feet and swept away by the hurrying tide. In her agony she cried out, O God of love, have mercy and save me before I die, that I may come to you. Just as she was about to sink, she felt a strong arm seize her and draw her up on the opposite shore, 
For a while, she lay faint and gasping for breath, but as her strength returned, she heard close beside her soft notes of music, and she opened her eyes to see from where the sweet sounds came. She found herself lying beneath a willow tree against which leaned a strange musician, for his head and shoulders and arms were those of a man, but his legs and feet were thin and hoofed, and he had horns and a tail like a goat. His ears were pointed, his nose was wide and flat, and his hair fell wild about his face. On his body he wore a leopard's skin, and he made sweet music on a pipe. At first she was terrified at the sight of this strange creature, but when he saw her look up at him, he stopped playing and smiled at her. And when he smiled, his face formed a thousand wrinkles, and his eyes twinkled merrily through his wild hair so that no one could look on him and be sad. In spite of all her troubles, Psyche laughed aloud as he began to dance around her on his spindly legs, playing a wild dance tune. Faster and faster he went, and up and down, and round and round, till, with a last shrill note on his pipe and a mad step in the air, he flung himself on the grass beside her. Have I warmed the blood back to your heart, fair maid? he asked, or shall I dance again the mad dance that drives away cold and despair? No, merry monster, my sides are aching with laughter, but tell me, who are you that saves damsels in distress and drives away their sorrow with wild piping and dance? I am the god of the forest and woodland and broad, wide pasture lands. To me, the shepherd prays to increase his flocks and the hunter for a good day's sport. In the evening, when the moon shines high overhead and the sky is bright with stars, I take my pipe and play in the dim, dark forest glades. To the sound of my music, the brook murmurs sweetly, the leaves whisper softly, the nymphs and naiads forget their shyness, and the hamadryad slips out from her tree. Then the eyes of the simple are opened, and on the cool green grass by the side of the silver stream, the goatherds and shepherd lads dance hand in hand with the nymphs, and the poet, looking forth from his window, cries, How sweet are the pipes of Pan! But when the dark storm cloud rides over the sky, and the streams are swollen with rain, I hurry through woodland and dell and over the bleak mountaintops. The crash of my hoofs on the rocks sounds like thunder to human ears, and the shriek of my pipe like the wild storm wind, and I rush through the middle of the battle when the trumpets are calling to arms. But above the blare of the bugle, men hear the shrill cry of my pipes. Then the archer throws down his bow, and the arm of the soldier falls limp, and their hearts grow faint with panic at the sound of the pipes of Pan. No, do not turn from me in terror, lady, he added, as Psyche readied herself to flee. For I wish you no evil. Gods mightier than I have made me goat-footed, with the horns and the tail of a beast. But my heart is kind within, or I would not have saved you from the stream. Once more, he smiled his genial smile and puckered his face like the ripples on a lake when a breeze passes over. Come, tell me who you are and how I can help you. Then Psyche told her tale, and when she had finished, Pan was silent for a time, as though lost in thought. At length, he looked up and said, You seek the great god Eros? I wish that I could help you, but love once lost is hard to find again. 
It is easier to bring the dead to life than to bring back love that doubt has driven away. I cannot help you, for I don't know how to find him or where you must look. But if you travel further and cross many long miles of pasture and woodland, you'll come to the rich cornlands and the shrine of Demeter, the great Earth Mother. She knows the secret of the growing corn and how the rich fruits ripen in their season, and she will take pity on a maid like you because of her child Persephone, who Hades snatched away from her flowery meadows and dragged below to be queen of the dead. For three months each year, she lives with him, the bride of death, in the dark world of ghosts, and all the earth mourns for her. The trees shed their leaves like tears on her grave, and through their bare branches the wind sings a dirge. But in the springtime, she returns to her mother, and the earth at her coming puts on her gayest robe, and the birds sing their brightest to welcome her back. At her kiss, the almond tree blushes into bloom, and the brook babbles merrily over the stones, and the primrose and violet and dancing daffodils spring up wherever her feet have touched. Go then to Demeter's shrine, for if your love is to be sought on earth, she will tell you where to go. But if to find him you must cross the dark river of death, her child Persephone will receive you. He then pointed out to her the path to the village where she could get shelter for the night, and Psyche, thanking him, went on her way, gladdened at heart by the genial smile of the wild woodland god. That night she slept in a shepherd's cottage, and in the morning the children went out with her to point out the road she must travel. The shepherd's wife, standing at the door, waved to her with her eyes full of tears. She had maidens of her own, and she pitied the delicate wanderer, for Psyche's beautiful face had shed a light in the small shepherd's hut, which the family would never forget. So Psyche went on her journey, often weak and hungry, and rough men laughed at her torn clothes and bleeding feet. But she paid no attention to their insults, and often those who had laughed the loudest when she was a little way off were the first to hush their rude friends when they saw her near. For her face was fairer than the dawn and purer than the evening star, so that the wicked man turned away from his sin when he saw it, and the heart of the watcher was comforted as he sat by the sick man's bed. At length, as Pan had told her, she came to the rich cornlands where Demeter has her shrine. Already the valleys were standing thick with corn, for it was close to harvest time, and on the hillsides the purple grapes hung in heavy clusters beneath the tall elm branches. As she drew near the temple, a band of harvesters came out. They had just placed the first fruits of the corn in the shrine, and now they were trooping to the fields, a merry throng of young men and maidens. Psyche stood back shyly as they passed, but they paid no attention, or at most cast a curious glance at her ragged clothes and bruised feet. When they had passed her, and she had heard their merry laughter and chatter die away down the lane, she ventured to enter the temple. Within, all was dark and peaceful. Before the altar lay sheaves of corn and rich purple clusters of grapes, while the floor was strewn with the seeds and bruised fruits which the harvesters had let fall when they carried in their offerings. Hidden in a dark corner, Psyche found the temple sweeper's broom, and, taking it, 
she swept up the floor of the temple. Then, turning to the altar steps, she stretched forth her hands and prayed, O Demeter, great earth mother, giver of the golden harvest, you who swells the green corn in the ear and fills the purple vine with gladdening juice, have mercy on one who has sinned. For the sake of your child, Persephone, the maiden, have pity on me and tell me where in the wide world I can find Eros, my love, or whether to the dark land I must go to search for him. So she prayed and waited for an answer, but all was still and dark in the temple, and at last she turned sorrowfully away and leaned her head against a pillar and wept. And because she had walked many long miles that day and had not eaten since dawn, she sank down exhausted on the ground, and gradually her sobs grew fewer and fainter, and she fell asleep. As she slept, she dreamed the temple was dark no more, but into every corner shone a soft, clear light, and looking round to see where it came, and looking round to see from where it came, she saw, on the altar steps, the form of a woman, but taller and grander than any woman of earth. Her robe of brown gold fell in stately folds to her feet, and on her head was a wreath of scarlet poppies. Her hair lay in thick braids on her bosom like ripe corn in the harvest, and she leaned on a large two-handed scythe. With great mild eyes, she looked at Psyche as one who has known grief and the loss of loved ones and can read the sorrows of human hearts. Psyche, she said, I have heard your prayer, and I know your grief, for I too have wandered over the earth to find my beloved, my own child. And you must likewise wander and bear fully the burden of your sin, for so the gods have willed it. This much can I tell you, and no more. You must go yet further from your homeland, and cross many rough mountains and foaming rivers, and never let your heart grow faint till you come to a temple of Hera, the wife of Zeus the All-Seeing. And if she finds you worthy, she will tell you how you must seek your love. So saying, she faded from her sight, and Psyche awoke and found the temple cold and dark. But in her heart she cherished the image of the great Earth Mother with her large eyes full of pity, and set out comforted on her journey. It would take too long to tell of all her wanderings and all the hardships of the road, but many moons had passed before she stood on the brow of a hill, looking down on Hera's shining temple. Down the hill she went, and up the marble steps, and men stood aside as she passed, for her face was fairer than before, and she no longer shrank back like a hunted thing, but walked with the swinging gait of those whose feet the kind earth has hardened, and the breezes of heaven have fanned the fire in their eyes. In her heart she knew that she had conquered and borne the terrors of the path with no coward's fears and she prayed that Hera might find her worthy of doing great deeds to win back her husband. Then she stood before the altar and made her prayer. O Hera, golden-throned, who sits on the right hand of Zeus, O you, who when the marriage torch is lit, leads the bride and groom to their home, and pours blessings on their wedded love, have mercy on me, and show me where I may find my dearest. Far have I wandered and drunk deep of sorrow's cup, 
but my heart is strong for any task that shall win back my love to me. So she prayed and bowed her head before the great white statue of the goddess. Even as she spoke, the statue seemed to change and rise from the ivory throne in the shape of a woman, tall and very fair. Her robes were like the clouds at sunset, and her veil like the mountain mist. On her head she wore a crown of gold, and the lightning played about her feet as she gazed at Psyche with eyes that pierced through to her soul. Psyche, she said, I have heard your prayer, and I know that you are true. For I am the wife of Zeus, who sees all things, and he hides nothing from me. I know well that you have wandered far, and suffered at the hands of men. But greater trials await you yet, before you can find your love. You must be servant to Aphrodite, the pitiless goddess of love, and she will try you mightily, and put you to many hard tests before she will forgive you, and think you worthy of her son Eros, or of the honors men gave you long ago. But if you overcome her wrath, you have overcome death itself, and nothing can part you from your love again. Go then to where she lives in a pleasant valley by the sea, and don't forget that the gods bless ten times those who do not waste the power that is given them, however small it is. So saying, she faded slowly away till Psyche found herself standing once more before the pale white statue. Then she turned and went through the silent temple and out into the sunlight and asked for the road which would lead her to the sea and to Aphrodite's pleasant valley.